Hello and good afternoon. We're glad you're able to join with us at one of our weekly open air witnesses. We're glad this afternoon that we're able to be outside Partick Station in the west end of Glasgow. And we're glad that you're able to join with us. There are one or two of us here from Partick Free Church of Scotland continuing. We're a local congregation. We minister in this area. We meet at two Thornwood Terrace. That is just go up Dumbarton Road. And when you come to the police station, if opposite the police station you go up a hill, yes, we acknowledge it's a steep hill. But if you go up that hill, you'll come to Thornwood Primary School. Well, we're next door on the crossroads, and we extend a warm welcome to you at Two Thornwood Terrace. We meet on the Lord's Day. What day is that? That is Sunday, the first day of the week. We meet there at 11 a.m., and we also have an early evening meeting at 6 p.m., and also we do have a, a midweek meeting and we would extend a warm and sincere welcome to you that you might come along and hear something more of what we want to say to you this afternoon. We live in a day and in a time when many people think and tell us there's no purpose in life. Well, if you believe evolution, and if you believe, or if you're an atheist, you'd, that you believe there's no God, then it's not surprising that many people think there is no purpose in life. Well, of course, as you may well know, that is completely and contrary to the Word of God, to the Bible. And we would go to the Bible to take all our teaching and all our doctrine. It is from the Word of God. Now the Word of God tells us, it teaches us, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And right at the beginning this afternoon, as we seek to bring something of God's Word to you, we have to grasp this, that the Bible teaches us that there is purpose, there is meaning in life. And you may well ask, what is that meaning? Well, the Bible does not leave us in ignorance. You know, the Bible's a book that will teach us things that we need to know. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 in the New Testament, it says, Whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. And that's our purpose, friends, in this life to glorify God. 
Now, if that's our purpose in life, how can we possibly do it? Well, the Bible does not leave us in ignorance again. It does not tell us, or it does not leave us to seek how we may glorify God by our own means or devices. Instead, God has given us our rule, how we might glorify Him. What rule hath God given to direct us, how we may glorify and enjoy Him? That's the question the Shorter Catechism asks us. And the answer given is the Word of God, which is contained in the Scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, is the only rule to direct us, how we may glorify and enjoy Him. And therefore, we are to glorify and enjoy God. How can we do it? Well, the Bible tells us. The Bible does not leave us in ignorance. It tells us. And therefore, we need to see this charitably, but we need to see it dogmatically. But the Bible, and the Bible alone, tells us how we might properly glorify and worship God. And therefore, all other religions, it doesn't matter their name, and it doesn't matter their origin, they cannot lead us and guide us in order that we might truly worship and glorify God as we should. That's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. There the Lord Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son of God who became the Son of Man, there He says dogmatically, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. And friends, we need to consider that verse because it's telling us an awful lot in a very few words. It's telling us there is a way to God, but there's only one way. And that way is through the Son of God who became the Son of Man. That one who came from heaven, came on our, our rescue mission, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And this is what makes Christ and Christianity absolutely unique. That Jesus Christ has come from heaven. And he's come to seek and to save that which was lost. And those that believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, they shall be saved. The apostles by their simple gospel preaching, turned the world upside down. And they said, Salvation is found in none other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Therefore, the Holy Bible, and only the Holy Bible, will tell us how that we might glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Well, the next question we want to ask ourselves, and surely, friends, 
This is something we should be asking ourselves. We should be asking ourselves these questions. Because ultimately, these questions that we're posing to you today are ultimate realities. We live in a world where we are obsessed with trivialities, absolute trivialities. But friends, before us all is eternity. Where will you spend eternity? How can I have a good eternity? What will happen to my soul when I pass into eternity? These are the kind of questions that we should be asking ourselves and that we should be probing that we might find answers. Where will you find these answers? You'll find these answers only in the Word of God. And the Catechism goes on to ask another question. What do the Scriptures principally teach? The Scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. So these are the two things that the Scriptures teach us. They teach us what we're to believe concerning God. Because many people have uh, beliefs in a God or gods that are not consistent with the Word of God. And therefore, we must acquaint ourselves with the Bible that we might find out the God of the Bible and that we might worship Him and serve Him and enjoy Him as He has laid down in the Word of God. And therefore, the two things that the Scriptures teach us is what is man to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. What is God? What is God? How can we describe Him? Well, God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. In His being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. That's the God of the Bible. You know, we might have a, an idea or a comprehension of a certain God if it doesn't match the God of the Bible, friends, then it's idolatry. And we are to worship the one true and the living God. God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. In His being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. That's the God with whom we have to do with. And this would tell us, amongst many things, that God does not have a body like we have. God is a spirit. That is why He can be everywhere. That's what's called omnipresent. God is everywhere, friends. Everywhere. He's here. He's in your home. He's in London. He's in Japan. He's in America. He is everywhere. He fills everywhere. Therefore, we cannot hide from the living God. Many people try to hide from God. Many people today will banish God from their thoughts. And they think if they go someplace or they do some activity, they can in some sense escape the presence of God. This is foolishness. God is a spirit. He is omnipresent. Therefore, God has seen us here today. He's seen where we are, what we're doing. But more than that, God knows the very words that we shall speak even before we speak them. And 
even more amazingly, God knows our thoughts. He knows what you're thinking now. You're hearing something about the Word of God. You're hearing something about the God of the Bible. You might be trying to dismiss these things and think, well, the preacher, surely he's gone a bit mad. Well, the Bible tells us that God knows our thoughts even before we think them. Therefore, we can hide nothing from the living God. And this is important. There is only one God. One God. Are there more gods than one? No. There is only one God. The living and the true God. And that's the God with whom you have to deal with. That's the God that I have to deal with. That's the God that one day you will meet. Now that is some thought, is it not? That you will meet your Creator. You will come face to face with God. What a day! How can we prepare for that day? Well, this is what the Bible teaches us. And this is what we want to draw to your attention today. This is why it's so important that we devote ourselves to the reading of the Scriptures, that we might find out about this God, and that we might find out how that we might please Him. We are told in the New Testament, in the book of Romans, written by Paul the Apostle, in Romans chapter 10, he says this wonderful statement in verse 13 of chapter 10, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. That is a glorious message, a glorious word to bring to the people around Partick Station in the west end of Glasgow this afternoon. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, I put it to you that every single one of us wants to be saved. None of us wants to perish. And of course, when we're talking about being saved, we're talking about what will happen to us after we pass into eternity. Christianity will not save you from physical death. We will die ordinarily unless the Lord Jesus Christ will return. But until He returns... Death will continue, whether we be an unbeliever or a believer. But when it says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, it's talking about what will happen to us after we pass into eternity. When we go into eternity, we want to be saved. Well, the Bible will tell us how we can be saved. And what's more, the Bible will tell us why we need to be saved. And this is what we might think about for a moment. Why do you need to be saved? You need to be saved, friends, because the Bible declares to us that we're all sinners. Now, that's an old-fashioned word. And indeed, you might go to a, a place of worship and you might not hear much about sin and sinners. It might be like a foreign language. Well, it's not a foreign language as far as the Bible is concerned. And indeed, the Bible doesn't make sense 
unless we have some understanding of the doctrine of sin. And we need to go right back to the very beginning. Because there is a beginning. There's a beginning in this universe. There's a beginning of this world. In the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 1, the first verse in the Holy Bible, what does it say? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. There, right at the beginning, God spoke and brought into being everything. Everything. And He created it in six days. This Bible teaches us the work of creation is God's making all things of nothing. By the word of His power in the space of six days and all very good. And in that six days He made our first parents. He created Adam out of the dust, out of the dust of the earth, and He breathed life into him so that he became a living soul. And then afterwards, from Adam, He created Eve, His wife. And they are the first parents of all mankind. And we've all come from Adam and Eve. They are our first parents, supernaturally created by God. God created man, male and female, after his own image, in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, with dominion over the creatures. That's what God describes. That's how the Bible describes our first parents. And they were perfect. And for some period of time, they lived perfectly. They had a wonderful relationship with their Creator God. They listened to Him. They, ho- they obeyed Him. They were living in harmony, in fellowship, and communion with their Creator God. But God gave them a, a clear and simple command. They were forbidden to eat the fruit of a certain tree in the garden. They were forbidden to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And this was a simple test that God gave our first parents. Would they obey Him or would they not? They had the power to obey And they had the free will to disobey. And they were put to this simple test. And the day came when the evil one came and tempted Eve. And she succumbed to the temptation. She questioned the word of God. She listened to the evil one instead. God had clearly said that if they did eat of the forbidden fruit, they would die. The devil came along and said, you will not die. There was a great difference in, the, in what God said and what the devil said to, to Eve, our first mother. She listened to the evil one. And then sin became part of human history. 
And she passed the fruit on to her husband, and he did eat. And therefore, that's why sin has come into this world. Now, you might think that's not a great problem. Well, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible would make it clear to us that this is a great problem. Wherefore, it says, As by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. All our problems, all the problems that beset us as individuals, as families, as communities, as nations, can all be attributed to mankind's fall into sin. Every sickness, every disease, every famine, every plague, every earthquake, every tsunami, every weed, Every death itself should remind us that all of these things that I've mentioned and many, many more have come into this world because of man's rebellion. It all can be attributed to sin. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, that's Adam, he was that one man, and death by sin... So death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And therefore, their disobedience and their alliance with the evil one has caused all kinds of havoc and injury and insult and harm to the human race. And friends... This is something that we cannot do anything about ourselves. We might think we can. We live in a time and a day when we think we're almost like God Himself and we have power over everything. That's not the case. We are ones who depend upon the living God for everything. And we depend upon the living God to deal with our greatest predicament and problem. And that great predicament and problem that's facing you and I today is our personal sin. But thanks be to God, He has done something about it. Thanks be to God that He's had mercy upon mankind. He has seen our plight. He has seen our lostness. He has seen our deadness. He has seen where we were going, and He has intervened. What has He done? He has sent forth the only begotten Son of God that He might take upon Himself our form and our nature, that He might come to this world, that He might live a perfect life, and at the end of that perfect life, He would then be able to offer up a perfect sacrifice, a sacrifice that would satisfy the just demands of God's most holy and inflexible law. You know, we began our speaking this afternoon talking about God and what He is 
God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his wisdom, power, and so on. That's what he's like. But he's a holy God. He's a God who cannot and will not tolerate sin. And he's the God who's done something about it. He sent his Son to be a Savior. To be a Savior for sinners. We love to quote this verse when we come out in the open air. Why do we love to quote this verse? Well, because many people are ignorant about it. And if you learn something today, friends, learn this verse. And we find the verse I'm talking about in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. The Apostle Paul, the great Christian, the great evangelist of the known world in the first century, he recognizes he's a great sinner, but he also recognizes he's a great, he has a great Savior, and he wants to commend that great Savior to you this afternoon. And friends, that's why we come out. That's why we leave our churches. That's why we leave our pulpits behind. And that's why we come out and we want to confront you in the nicest possible way concerning your sin and the Savior who alone can save you from your sins. And truly, this is a faithful saying. This is a saying that should be demonstrated and put up everywhere. This is something that you should know. It's a faithful saying. This is what the Christian church should be proclaiming. We should not be hiding this. We should be proclaiming it from the rooftops. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. It's for everyone. Why is it for everyone, you might say? I thought it was just for religious people. It's for do-gooders. No, friends, that's not what the Bible teaches us. It's for everyone because we're all sinners. And because we're all sinners, we all need a Savior because we cannot save ourselves. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's why He came. You know, some people have the kind of mindset that thinks that God is in some sense out to get them. That God is not for them. That God is their enemy. Now, in some sense, that may be true. But in another sense, it is most definitely not true. Because God is the one who has recognized our plight. God is the one who has recognized the great problem and the great chasm that is between Him and sinful mankind. And God is the one who has been offended by our bad behavior, by our sinful behavior. Yet He's the one who has done something about it. He's the one who wants to see reconciliation between sinful mankind and a holy God. He's the one that's taken the initiative. Let's try and put this in, in sort of a human 
uh, a human context. There's two friends together. They've been friends since they've been at school. They've gone through all kinds of difficulties through the early school years, through adolescence. Maybe now they're in employment. They're in the same job. They're great pals. They've had a great time together. There's a wonderful bonding between them. They're as good as brothers or even better than brothers. But something happens. Something happens. There's a dispute. There's a fallout. And one of them has been offended by the behavior of another. And they're not speaking. And the love that they had and the fellowship that they had is is no longer present. Well, what would happen if the one who was offended made the move to be reconciled to the one who had committed the offense? That would be wonderful, would it not? Well, that is what has happened as far as God is concerned and as far as we are concerned. We are the ones with our sinful behavior who has offended God. And we don't deserve any mercy from Him whatsoever. Yet God is the one who has done something in order to be reconciled to sinful mankind. He has taken the initiative. And it was a costly initiative. He didn't send an angel. Or He didn't send a a legion of angels. He sent His only begotten Son. He sent the Son of His bosom. He sent His dearly beloved Son. And His Son condescended and came to this world. He didn't come as a conqueror. He didn't come as a king. He came as a Savior. He took upon Himself our form and nature. He became just like us. Imagine the Son of God, the glorious being who is from everlasting to everlasting, the one who has created heaven and earth, the one who has created the stars, the one who upholds the whole of the universe. This one came down from heaven and became just like us. What a great humiliation this was for him. And he came to live for around 33 years in poverty. The Son of God. This is what he did. Lived a perfect life. And then he suffered at the cruelty, at the cruel behavior of his enemies. Nailed to a cross, a crown of thorns, put upon his head. He was spat upon. He was jeered. He was laughed upon. A spear pierced his side. And ultimately, he died. How can that possibly be of any use or any value to me? This afternoon, you may well be saying, well, here's the wonder and the glory of the Christian gospel. Although wicked men crucified the Lord Jesus Christ, yet it was ultimately God's plan and purpose 
to punish the Lord Jesus Christ in the room and place of sinners. And there on the cross, God was punishing Christ instead of His people. God was laying the sins of the world upon Jesus Christ there at the cross. And here is where it affects you and I. If you will but trust upon the Lord Jesus, if you will but receive Him as your Lord and Savior, your sins shall be forgiven. Why? Because your sins have been paid for by what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And this is important. God is a God of justice. And if Jesus Christ has paid your price, the price that you should have paid for your sins, if He has done that for you on your behalf, then God cannot punish you. That will be punishing twice. And God is just. He will not let this happen. And this is why we come out. This is why we tell you, friends, there's a way to be saved. There's a way to be reconciled to God. There's a way to have your sins forgiven. There is a way to be reconciled and to be welcomed into heaven. What is that way? Jesus Christ is that way. And we will add, He is the only way. There is no other way to heaven to be saved, to be reconciled, except through the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, it's good to be with you this afternoon. We're grateful for this lovely weather, which makes it so much easier for us. We're here from Partick Free Church of Scotland continuing, and we're going to take a short break to recharge our batteries. But may the Lord be pleased to bless His Word to you this afternoon.